Hey, Victory. Today, I want to talk to those of you who have maybe heard about Jesus or maybe grew up going to church or maybe going to Sunday school, but you didn't, maybe like me in that place, uh, I didn't really know what the big deal was, right? Or maybe somewhere along the way that you've said yes to Jesus, um, but because you can't get away from it, like you just know that it's true, but you don't really know how to explain what God has done. And maybe some of you love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But if I asked you today to explain to somebody what Jesus did and why he did it and why it matters, you would freak out. So today what we're doing is we're diving into the gospel. Okay, so the gospel is one of those really big words that we've all heard that a lot of us say, but the truth is, I don't think we all mean the same thing when we say it. And this is so incredibly important because the, the Apostle Paul, he writes this in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So if the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe, then us, we, who are supposed to be the ones who carry the gospel and share the gospel with the world, we better know what the gospel is, right? And here's the innate problem in all of this, is that way too many of us have a really small gospel, okay? Our gospel, if, if, if it was left to us to kind of write it out, for most of us, it would be Jesus died for my sins, period, which is true, but it's too small, Okay, so last week we dove into what we called the breadth and the beauty of the gospel. And maybe last week, some of you heard a bigger gospel than you ever have before in your entire life because we summed the gospel down into these three words. Y'all remember those words? Our God reigns. Come on guys, that's good news. Our God reigns. Our God reigns right now over the universe. And that is good news. In fact, gospel means good news. The good news is this isn't a mistake. This isn't an accident. You aren't the product of billions of years of evolution because our God reigns over the universe. Our God reigns over the nations. Our God reigns over every regime, over every president, over every dictator. Our God reigns. And how long does he reign? From eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between and forever on both sides, our God reigns. Come on, somebody. Right? And what does that do? The reality that our God reigns. Y'all remember these. What does that do? That gives us the gift of this thing called a worldview, right? A worldview that shapes, forms, and informs our worldview. Now, listen, everything I see and everything I feel gets filtered through the lens that our God is ruling and reigning through Jesus Christ, right? When I look at a war, when I look at my job, when I look at the world around me, our God is ruling and reigning through Jesus Christ. That's how I see it with life events, with the things that happen to me. I don't see them just through my emotions. I filter them through the reality that God is ruling and reigning through Jesus Christ. And that is the breadth and the beauty of the gospel. And today what we're doing is we're taking another step and we're realizing there's not just a breadth to the gospel, there's also a depth to the gospel. 
there is a breadth to the gospel and there's also a depth to the gospel. There is the good news, the good news, the gospel. The good news is there was a climactic moment in human history that changed everything. The moment that took the big picture, meta-narrative story of God and put skin on it, made it personal and brought it down to earth. And that moment is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The climax of God's story is the good news of Jesus. Listen, that there is a horizontal bar of the breadth of the gospel, but there's also a vertical bar of the depth of the gospel, and the two come together in Jesus. Come on, the great story in the air, the gospel in the air, and the gospel on the ground collide in Jesus Christ. So what is the depth of the gospel? Here's what we know. In the beginning, God. Come on, in the beginning, Yahweh. Yahweh means I am that I am. In the beginning, the eternal, uncreated, all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, God simply was. And in that space, in his divine eternal wisdom, he chose to create the heavens and the earth. And then he lovingly formed Adam and Eve in his own image. And then he lovingly gave them everything that they needed. And then he lovingly walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day in relationship. What was that like? And then this loving God, the same loving God, watched his creation rebel against him. Why? Because they knew better right? We know the story, right? Eve takes the fruit from, from the devil. She's deceived. She gives it to Adam, who also eats. He was not deceived. He knew what he was doing, uh, which, by the way, forever proves that 99% of men will eat any fruit that a naked woman gives them. <laughs> Something we got to work on, guys. Like, we got to get better about that. But it was on that day that God's word, that God's promise to Adam came true. Genesis 2, 16, here was God's promise. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat. Listen, guys, all, every, Adam and Eve focus on the last part of this sentence, but God was really trying to get to them the first part of the sentence. You're free to eat from any tree, any of it. It's all yours except for one. You must not eat from this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And guys, on that day, there in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve died. They didn't physically die. There was breath in their lungs, but there was no life in their soul. They died that day. And then also they were cut off from the tree of life. So the clock started ticking on their life. Second by second by second, they were heading to the grave. And what used to lie ahead of them was day after day of life and joy and adventure and relationship with God and each other. But after that day, all that lied ahead of them was the grave. Listen, they exchanged God for the grave because that's what sin does. You know, even, even Romans 26, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Come on, the paycheck of sin is death. If you work at sin, the paycheck you get is death. 
Come on, here's, here's the good news even in this. Look at the dot, dot, dot. It's not a period, it's a to be continued. And we're gonna circle back to that dot, dot, dot in just a minute because it means that there's more to the story. Because even on the darkest of days in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, God makes a promise to them that one day the Messiah, the Savior is coming and he will crush the enemy's head. And it's here in the garden that we catch this really interesting moment right as God is rightfully and justfully so removing Adam and Eve from his presence in the garden. Here, here's what we see in Genesis 3:21, that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So wait a second, I don't know about you. When I see this, I like pause. I'm like, wait a second, garments of skin. You don't find those on trees. Those aren't leaves that they're using to cover themselves with. Where did he get the garments of skin? Come on, think about it. Up until this point, nothing has died. But God's word remains true. The wages of sin is death. But in an absolutely unbelievable, unfathomable act, instead of killing Adam and Eve for their sin, Come on, somebody, God kills something else for their sin. Listen, God's love for humanity causes him to allow something else to bleed and die for their sin. And that's what we call foreshadowing. But the fall in the garden was just the beginning of sin. If you know the story, Adam and Eve, their firstborn kills their secondborn and the, the sin just spirals out of control. God saves one family through the flood to try and start again, but sin just reboots on the other side of the flood and we're caught in the quicksand. We're caught in the destructive cycle. We cannot rescue ourselves. We're caught in confusion because we've left the well-marked path and we've driven out into the wilderness. Why? Because we know what best. Come on. There was a path that was paved, a path that led to life, but we're like, no, 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 no. I know what's better. I know it's my truth. I know how I want to live. And now we're stuck out in the desert and we're confused and we're afraid and we're alone and we're stressed out. And all of humanity has died. Yes, there is breath in our lungs, but there's no life in our soul. And we're like a branch that's been cut off from a tree that's just slowly withering away because we have no life in us. We have to be connected to something that has life. And guys, the reality is this, for the gospel to be good news, we have to understand the bad news. And guys, the bad news is what lies ahead for every single human being because of our sin is judgment. Guys, hell was created for the devil and for the angels who joined him in his rebellion. Guys, hell was not created for people. You have to know that. But those who choose the devil's rebellion get the devil's reward. And he listen, the devil is not ruling hell. You understand that, don't you? I know that's not how society sees it. It's not that God's in charge of heaven and, and the devil's in charge of hell. No, God's in charge of it all. 
And the hell is the lake of fire of eternal separation from the goodness of God in isolation and torment all by yourself forever and ever and ever. Where Jesus says the worm never stops eating and the fire never goes out. And guys, the bad news is Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Guys, the bad news is something must die for sin. Which begs the question, why does the forgiveness of sin require blood? And the answer is because we have a just God because we have a God of justice. Listen, listen. if somebody killed your family, your entire family today, you hear the news, somebody slaughtered your family and you find yourself in the courtroom with that person who murdered your family and the judge is up there and he's like, well, you know, he's not that bad of a guy. I mean, he's not Hitler. All right, you can go free. What would you say? Injustice. Why? Because sin requires punishment. Sin requires justice. Okay, let's just make it personal. If somebody came over to your house tonight and during dinner, they peed on your dinner table, you'd be like, get out of my house, right? Oh, you're so, oh, you're so exclusive. Oh, how dare you judge me? No, I just have house rules. And one of those rules is you can't pee on my dinner table. Oh, oh, how dare you draw a line in the sand. You're not inclusive. No, I have house rules. And listen, we have a perfect God who has house rules. And he's told us the way to live. He has prepared the way for us. And the reality is he sees all, knows all and judges all without prejudice. And our real problem, family, listen, hear this lovingly as I can. Our real problem is that we have underestimated how wretched our sins are before the living God. What, what, a while back, I, I built a patio in my backyard with the little pavers, right? And I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and so I got all this stuff, right? And, and I start building, I take my level and I'm like, I'm doing the thing, right? And I work for hours and hours and hours. And then I, I pick my head up and I see the whole thing's like, blah. And I'm like, what in the world? I've been using my level the whole time. And then it dawned on me what my problem was. I had been leveling each stone compared to the stone next to it instead of leveling it back to the cornerstone. And this is our problem, is we compare ourselves to the people around us. You say, I'm not that bad. I'm not Hitler. Come on, I'm not Putin. I'm not Mussolini. I haven't caused a genocide. I'm not that bad compared to everybody else. But reality is, guys, you're not compared to everybody else. You're compared to the cornerstone. You're not compared to the world. You're compared to the word. And God holds your life up against the holiness of his life. And in that light, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And we all are hopelessly lost. And Isaiah 64, 6 Isaiah 64, six says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And anyone who is uninterested in the gospel is uninterested because they don't understand the gravity of their offense against the living God. 
Oh, I'm not really interested in that. It's because you don't understand. You don't understand what you've done because no one will ever be able to look at God and say, you are unjust. I do not deserve my punishment because we're all guilty. And guys, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the bad news is, without intervention, we are all hopelessly lost. We will die and we will go to hell. Guys, we need good news. <laughs> Does anybody want some good news? <laughs> Our good news is that God doesn't want this for us. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God is patient. Listen, to, to, I, I understand it. We have this tension in our soul, but we look around in the world around us and we're like, Jesus, why don't you just come back? Why don't you just come back? And God is like, listen, I'm being patient with the world. Because if Jesus came back tonight, billions would spend a Christless eternity billions, but here's what we can't do. Don't, don't, don't confuse God's patience with blindness. He sees it all, he knows it all, but he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God gives us hope because it's his heart that we would live, that we would choose life, that we would have life everlasting. And we get this glimpse even in the garden that it's possible hope against all hope, that it's possible for something else to cover our sins. And so God's story continues from the garden, through the flood, through Noah, to this man named Abraham. And it's through which that God chooses this man named Abraham to form a people called the Hebrew people through which the Messiah would come. And after 400 years of slavery, of Hebrew slavery in Egypt, God speaks about their deliverance. And he tells them to take a, a spotless lamb without defect and to sacrifice it, to kill it, and to take that blood and to put it over the doorpost of their home. And in Exodus 12, 13, here's what he says. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Oh, this is coming up, guys. We're like right on the, on the, on the doorstep of this, of the remembrance of this. When God sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over you. Oh, come on. Some of y'all get it. When you put the blood of the lamb on your home, over your family, over your life, when death comes because of the blood, he will pass over you and you will live even though others die. And then we fast forward and God establishes a temple sacrificial system where he tells the people to sacrifice animals to cover over their sins. Then he establishes this thing called Yom Kippur, which is called the day of atonement, which is one day a year. The high priest of, of the people of Israel would go into the temple into the inner courts, and then he would go through the veil only one time a year. If you went in there any other time, you would die because that's where the presence of God resided. And the high priest would go behind the veil one day a year on the day of atonement, and he would make a sacrifice to cover over the sins of the people. But every sacrifice only covered over the sins. 
The sins were never actually forgiven. Relationship was never actually fully restored. Peace was never actually fully achieved. And so all of creation is groaning and waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. God, when will you fulfill the promise you made that one is gonna come and crush the enemy's head? And in Galatians 4, 4, here's what it tells us. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Come on, Jesus. When we couldn't reach up high enough to reach him, God so loved the world that he stretched down to reach us and sent his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Listen, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus came into the world because the world was already condemned. Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us. Jesus Christ came as the incarnation God with skin on. Listen, guys, the good news is Jesus was not an archangel as the Jehovah's Witness would want you to believe. Jesus is not just a prophet like the Muslims would want you to believe. Jesus wasn't just a good man like the world would want you to believe. Jesus Christ is God with us. that the word that was with God in the beginning, that was God, put on skin and dwelled among us. And when John the Baptist first sees Jesus in John 1, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who does what? Covers over? Oh, there's something different. There's something different. Come on, sin isn't just gonna be covered over any longer. What would happen to us if sin was removed? Wow, what a statement to make. Come on, let's put that up there just really quickly again. What, what John says about Jesus. Listen, the Lamb of God, listen, knowing what we know now, what does it take to deal with sin? Shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And what do lambs do in God's system? They die. So our first introduction to Jesus is that he came to die, not to cover over our sins. He will be a sacrifice like no other. He will take our sins away. And Jesus lives the only perfect life. Therefore, he's qualified to be the only perfect sacrifice. He was sinless, spotless, and blameless. He was betrayed by his own and sentenced to death by crucifixion. Listen, Caesar ruled by putting others on the cross. Jesus ruled by putting himself on the cross. Amen. His only crime was that he claimed to be the son of God. He was beaten beyond recognition and a rugged cross placed upon his back, a crown of thorns on his head. And it was here that Isaiah's 800-year-old prophecy, 800 years before Jesus ever came to earth, Isaiah 53:3, he prophesied that he was despised and rejected by mankind. By the way, if you ever go into a synagogue, they'll never read Isaiah 53 because they don't know what to do with it. 
In fact, if you come from a Jewish background, you don't even think that this is in the Old Testament and you're gonna think that I'm wrong, that I made this up and you need to go back and read it in your Bible, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely though, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider, we thought that God was punishing him. We thought God was striking him, afflicting him, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Six times in there, it says that Jesus did it for us. And here's where we get this term. And I, I just, I, I wanna give you a big theological term just for something maybe even for you to, 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 to stick away and to study later. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. This is the big term of what Jesus did for us, penal substitutionary atonement, is that Jesus voluntarily was punished in our place to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. It wasn't against us, it was against sin. God hates sin so that God can justly forgive sin, restoring the relationship between God and mankind. That Jesus stood in our place. This is what that means. Jesus stood in our place and got our punishment so we could stand in his place and get his reward. That's what it means. Because it's at the cross that mercy and justice collide. Colossians 2, Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Another translation says, he took the record of wrongs against you, broke it and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen, family, the father was not punishing Jesus at the cross. The father was punishing our sin at the cross. And it was there that Jesus uttered the three most beautiful words. It is finished. It is finished. <laughs> and at the moment of Jesus' death, you know, you know what happened? The veil in the temple was torn. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two, not from bottom to top, as if we initiated this, it was torn from top to bottom because God initiated this story. Why? Why was the veil in the temple torn? Because our great high priest, Jesus Christ, went into the presence of the Father as our final sacrifice, as our final day of atonement to permanently deal with our sin debt. And now the dividing wall of hostility between God and man is abolished and we can now boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence and sit on our Father's lap because we have a great high priest who's gone before us and made a way for us and it is finished. It is finished. And then Jesus is buried to show that he really is dead. Again, like the Muslims believe, he wasn't just like faking the whole thing. 
For three days, he's dead. The question is, what does he do? I would love to preach a whole sermon on that. But Jesus leads captivity captive. So in that time, here's what he does. He goes and he gets Noah and Abraham and Deborah and Ruth and Esther, and he brings them with him to paradise. And three days later, the stone rolls away. And Jesus rises again with a resurrected body to prove that he is God, to prove that the work really is finished and to prove that Jesus really does have the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee must bow and every tongue confess him, Lord, to prove that he really did take the keys of death, hell, and the grave and triumph over our enemy and rise again in victory. And I love this, what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Jesus is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. No longer is the door of death closed on your life. Now, because of the work of Jesus Christ, that, death, that door of death has been blown open off the hinges. And Jesus Christ alone has the keys. The gospel, the good news of the finished work of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. What does it change? It changes everything about your past, it changes everything about your present, and it changes everything about your future. Why, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, hello, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, do you see yourself in that list? Anybody, do you see yourself on there twice? Three times? Come on, church people. If you don't have your hands raised, you're a liar. Now you're on the list. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Come on. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. What does it change? I'm just gonna run through it. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it washes us. It washes us. This isn't a little Clorox, Clorox wipe, right? Come on. Your past is washed clean. You are forgiven. Yesterday paid for. Today paid for. Tomorrow paid for because you've been washed. What else does the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus do? It sanctifies us. Sanctifies means that you have been made pure, clean, holy in the eyes of God, and now your life is set apart for God, it justifies us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is just as if I had never sinned, that God isn't ignoring your sins. God has chosen to forget your sins. And now the Father sees you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives us new life, that we're born again. So listen, guys, we aren't just forgiven. Praise God for forgiveness, but we aren't only forgiven. Now we're new. 
You were born again. God has pressed the reset button on your life every single morning. His mercies are new. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, it reconciles us that we've been restored back to relationship with the Father through the Son. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ adopts us that God has put his spirit on the inside of us that cries out, Abba, Father. So listen, you're not an orphan. I don't know what your family looks like, but you have a father in God and a family in this room. And so you are never and will never be alone ever again. Because the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it redeems us. That our old way of life used to be pointed towards death, but now we've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it protects us. Now the power of the devil has been broken off of your life. You don't belong to your old master. You belong to God. It fills us with peace. Now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We're no longer at war with God. We're loved and we're at rest in the Father's arms. The, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. Because of Jesus, I will never die. I will never die <laughs> because of Jesus. You will never die. Remember, remember the bad news from a few minutes ago that the wages of sin is death? Remember that dot, dot, dot? Romans 6, 23, let's look at it again. For the wages of sin is death. But, come on. I like big butts in the Bible, come on. But. This is the biggest but right here. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <laughs> and because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have one of the greatest gifts, a worldview. Now, when I look at sin, I am disgusted because I realize what that sin required to be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That sin required the precious blood of Jesus Christ to be forgiven. Now when I sin, I don't see myself as a failure. That's my old lens. Now, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I understand I have been washed, and I have been sanctified, and I have been justified. So I don't run away from God when I sin. Why would I run away? I've been adopted. Why would I run away from my father? He's the only one who can love me through this. Now when I fall down, I don't stay down, because even though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up, because it is finished. It is finished. I don't have to pay for my sin. He already paid for my sin. Now because of Jesus Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. There's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. When my past comes back to haunt me, I don't let it take me down the drain. I put on the lens that Jesus Christ has already gone before me and I remind the devil that no one can out the cross. Come on. It is finished. I remind the devil, you're a liar. In fact, our lives were so important that Jesus Christ laid his life down. For me, I'm not a failure, I'm a son. So now when others fail me, 
I give grace because I've been given grace. Now when others offend me, I forgive because I've been forgiven. Now when I think about the world around me, I have love instead of judgment because their glasses are blacked out. They can't see. They're blind, they're groping in the dark. They've left the path of life and sin and gone out into the wilderness and they're trying to make their way there. And how will they know unless someone shares the good news? So now when I think about my money, I think about it through the lens of how I can use my resources to help other people find Jesus. Now when I think about my time, I think about it through the lens of how I can use my time to help others find Jesus. Now when I think about my church family, I see all the people who God is doing a miraculous work in and we're all in a journey together. And now when I think about death, I can say, where, oh death, is your victory? <laughs> where, oh death, is your sting? Because God has given us the victory through the sin and th through, through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I can have peace even in death. Because even though I don't know everything that death holds, I do know who holds life after death. And he is good. And the good news is that the father, oh, I just, listen, I got this right before I came out. The good news is that the father, the son, and the spirit we're working in the death, the burial, and the resurrection to change my past, my present, and my future by saving my spirit, my soul, and my body from death, hell, and the grave. That's the gospel, guys. That's the good news. All praise Jesus Christ for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Glory to Jesus. Come on, glory to Jesus. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, thank you for the depth of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. God, thank you that you didn't just stay high, you also came low. That Jesus Christ came to us God, that you did not abandon us and you did not forsake us in our sin. God, thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything. So God, today we lay down our pursuit of trying to earn our way into heaven. God, we don't know any better. We don't, we don't have anything to offer. We really don't. Even our righteousness compared to you is filthiness. But thank God we don't have to pay the price because the forgiveness of sins requires blood. And so Jesus Christ came and he said, it is finished. 
that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins to give us new life today and to purchase eternal life forever. And now there is only one name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. At the name of Jesus, the knee of every angel bows. At the name of Jesus, the knee of every demon will bow. <laughs> there will come a moment when the toothless lion, the devil himself will bow his knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. And on that day, the book of life will be opened and those whose names are found written in the book of life will step into life everlasting. And God, it's only because of the name and faith in that name that we are saved. It's not based on our good works. God, it's not based on trying to tip the scales of, of good and bad in our life. It's not, it's not an equation. It's not what I do plus what Jesus does equals eternal life. No, it is what Jesus has done. It is finished. He completed the work on my behalf. And now I throw myself past, present, and future at the foot of the cross. And God, thank you through faith in Christ that we are truly alive through faith in that name. And so right now, I want us to pray in faith in that name. And maybe there's many in here who have already thrown yourself on that name. And there's some of you today who need to say, I, I, the, the wages of sin is death. And, 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 and all that sin, it is still on me because I've never come to faith in that name. But the good news is God has been patient with you. He's been so patient and he's prepared this moment right here, right here for you to say today, I repent, I lay down my sin in my way and I throw myself into life, into faith in Jesus Christ. If today you need to say yes to Jesus, just raise your hand up really high, really high. This is, this is you, and, you and God right now saying, God, today's the day. God, today is the day. I'm leaving that past, I'm leaving that way, and I'm throwing myself into faith in the only name that can save, the name of Jesus Christ. So let's do this, let's pray in that name. Come on, as a family, all of us, let's pray in that name. Jesus Christ, come on, repeat after me. Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God who died for my sin and you rose again. You are the living God. So today, I repent. I turn from my sin. I leave it behind and I come to you. And through faith in Jesus Christ, I am saved, I am washed, I am sanctified, I am justified, I am born again, and eternal life is open to me today. God is my Father, and I am your child, all because of Jesus.
Amen.